Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you dads this morning. Uh, if you would be taking your Bibles and turning with me to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament if you're looking the very beginning of your Bible, Deuteronomy 6. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at this passage this morning as we talk about fathers, what it means to be a, a faithful father. As I was preparing uh, for the sermon, I got to, you know, just kind of looking through and examining some of the, the faithful fathers we have in the Bible. There aren't any. <laughs> like, there's not very many good examples of good dads that, throughout the Bible. We have Hannah, and we have Mary, and we have all these different ladies, Timothy's mom and grandmama. But when it comes to dads, we've got people like Adam who, you know, didn't protect his household well and condemn the whole human race. We have Noah who got off the ark after the flood and got naked and drunk in front of his family. We got Abraham who got tired of waiting on God and ended up having a, a, a baby with his wife's servant. And I could keep going through the list. We could talk about Jacob and the way he created jealousy within his own home and, and wrecked his own house. We could talk about David who, you know, had a child with his friend's wife who he murdered. I, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on of dads who are failures, Sounds exciting, right? It makes you feel a little better about yourself this morning, right? But anyway, I was talking to Crystal about this yesterday. We were just kind of talking through the, the Bible and what, what, how dads are presented. And we talked about the fact that there are no perfect fathers because all fathers are humans. And about that time, our little theologian walked by, Zoe, and she turned around and she said, Dad, did you say all fathers are humans? I said, yes. And she said, what about God? He's perfect. I'm like, that's exactly my point, Zoe. That's what I'm preaching tomorrow. Dad's, God the Father is the only perfect father. The rest of us are all failures. Thankfully, uh, God is perfect and God is good. And so I, I share that with you sort of as a qualifier as we walk, begin to walk through Deuteronomy 6. Because I want you to understand as we look at this passage of Scripture and we see what God has called us to be as parents versus who we are, we're going to see a separation. We want, this is the ideal. This is what we're aiming towards. I was thinking back through the, the years of preaching uh, Father's Day messages and, and preaching on parenthood. And my, my early sermons back before I had children and then when my children were really little, boy, I was rough on dads. I was like, y'all need to be doing this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this. And that over the years, I've noticed I've given a little more grace each year as my children have gotten a little older. And the reason is, it's because the older my kids get, the more I realize how little I actually know. I'm sure you fathers who've been at it for a little bit can relate to this. Every year you realize how much you have to rely on the God's grace more and more. We'd be foolish to be proud in our parenting. We would be foolish to think that we don't need to lean into God's grace. And so my qualifier for you this morning is this. None of us have arrived. None of us have come to the place where we know everything there is to know about raising kids. Not one of us. We're all leaning on God's grace. We're all depending upon God's grace. That's the one side. The other side is, is we are called. We have been given a responsibility to be faithful to the Lord. To raise up children in a way that is pleasing to Him. This Father's Day, we are to be reminded of the fact that we are, that dads, you are head of the home. It is your responsibility to see to it that your home is a home where God is honored and your children are led to Him. 
And if dad is not around, then that, that responsibility, it falls on, on mothers. And so there's a double duty there. But, but guys, we have to realize that we have a responsibility to pass on the faith to the next generation. To pass on what God has shown us to, of himself to us, to our kids. The, the beginning of the book of Judges. If you want to see what it looks like when one generation fumbles the faith before they pass it on to the next generation, you can look at the beginning of the book of Judges. Basically, what happens in that book at the very beginning is you, you read the words that there arose a new generation after Joshua and all of them who had been with him died that did not know the Lord, that did not remember the mighty works of the Lord that God had done for his people. In other words, the generation of people that walked out of Egypt who had experienced, well, and then died, and then the generation that walked into the promised land that God had given them after they died. No one remembered what God had done. They fumbled the faith. We don't want to be a generation that fumbles the faith, guys. We want to pass the faith on to the next generation. This goes both ways. This is not uh, the, the, the problem in America when we see people not following Christ is not a young people problem. It's not an older people problem. It is a passing on the faith problem. We must not fumble the faith. We must not drop the faith. We must pass it on. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to read down through verse 25 just so that we get a full understanding of where we're going this morning, and then we're going to talk through it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the God, Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, that, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that, we might, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. 
that he may preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. I pray as we look at your word this morning. God, that you would encourage us, those of us who are parents in this place, that you would encourage us to serve you and to worship you through the way that we raise our children. For those of us who are children, Lord, I pray that we, you would encourage us to honor and obey our parents. And God, for those of us who have already raised our children, God, I pray that you would be with them. God, strengthen them and help them to continue to pour into the next generation and continue to pass the faith on to the next generation. God, we need your help this morning. These are things that we can't do without you. We confess right up front, God, that we don't have the ability, we don't have the strength, we don't have the smarts. All we have is you, Lord. Give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So first this morning, I want to see that we pass on our faith through our relationship with the Lord. And here's what I mean. You can't pass on what you ain't got. Does that make sense? Like you can't give to someone something you don't have. It's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Well, the, what happens, I think, sometimes is we try to pass the faith on from one generation to the next. And so we're trying to pass on something we don't necessarily have ourselves, or at least the firm grasp of it. I remember I, back in uh, elementary school, we'd go and we'd sing. Y'all, y'all remember going and singing in music class and the music teacher, you know, y'all would sing whatever song. I, my favorite still is La Cucaracha. You remember singing that song? Anyway, but anyway, man, I love that song. I love singing about cockroaches for some reason. But anyway, at the end of it, if our class was good, she would give us all a starburst. Do y'all remember how precious that one little starburst was? You hope for the red one, you may get a yellow one. Well, I remember there were some people in our class, surely not me, that were kind of mean. And what they would do is they would eat their Starburst, but then they would very carefully wrap the wrapper back together and make a little square out of the wrapper so it looks like there was still a Starburst in there. Y'all ever see anybody do that? Maybe it was just my class. But then they'd be like, hey, I didn't eat my Starburst. You want my Starburst? And they'd give it to you, and you'd get it. And it'd just be a wrapper full of air. I think sometimes as we try to pass on the faith, our faith from the outside looks really good. Looks like there's something in there. And then we open it and it's just air. Here's the problem, guys. Sunday morning, that's really easy to fake. You put on your church clothes, put on your smiley face, make it through 30 minutes to an hour, depending on you know, how long you're here, or maybe an hour and a half, depending on how many notes that the pastor has, whatever. But you can make it through that time and you can go home and go back to the way you were. Your kids see that. And if you're trying to pass on that fake faith without a real relationship with the Lord, it doesn't work. They can see through that. They know that you're just full of hot air. We have to have a right relationship with the Lord. It says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. What God is calling them to, when they read this passage, this is part of what they would call the Hebrew Shema. This is something they would, they would recite together every time they got together. It was a reminder that their God is unique, that our God is unique, our God is one. In, in a world full of polytheistic cultures and religions, there is one true God, and he stands above the rest. He's the only true God. He's the only one that you would encounter of this nature. He's the only one of his kind because he's the only God who is truly true. And what they're being encouraged to do here is have a relationship with the one true God. 
There's a story a man uh, I read told about how one day he was watching out his window as his son was playing with the, the boy from down the street. And they, be, they were playing, and as boys will do, they began to compare dads about my dad can whip your dad type of stuff. And they began, and the, the one boy said, well, yeah, well, you know, my dad knows the principle. And the dad, the dad was over here in this conversation, and he thought, yeah, I bet your dad does know the principle, son. <laughs> like, and, and, and so they, they began, they kept going back and forth, and the other, hit, this man's son was like, well, my dad knows the mayor. The other boy said, well, my dad knows the governor. And this man's son said, yeah, oh, yeah, well, my dad knows God. And the man, it, the man that was writing the story said, I, I went with tears in my eyes and got on my knees and said, God, may it be so that my boy could always say, my dad knows God. Guys, that, that is passing on the faith, that our children would know that we know the one true God. We do this through prioritizing him. Verse 5 here. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, every part of our being, all of our affection and our desire, the fullness of all that we are is aimed and directed at making God our treasure. That we would love God with our emotions. That we'd be passionate about him. How many of y'all know that you pass on what you're passionate about? You're going to pass on what you're most passionate about. I mean, I, I shudder to think what I pass on through my passions. Do your kids think that Arkansas Razorbacks are more important than Jesus based on your passions? Do they see you more broken over financial loss than sin in your life? How are your priorities when it comes to loving the Lord this morning? If, if we were to ask your kids, what is dad, what is mom most passionate about? What would they say? He says that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, your, your, your thinking capacities. What do you spend your time thinking on and studying this morning? Is it the things of the Lord or is it the things of the world? With all your strength, all your mind. What do you put your effort into? That the function, uh, one person put it this way, he said the function of these faculties and capacities in relation to loving God is to demonstrate that every faculty and capacity that we have should display at every moment that God is our supreme treasure. In other words, everything we do should point to the fact that we love the Lord, should point to the fact that he is priority. Ask yourself this morning, do your children see you as honoring God as your supreme treasure? as your true God or do they see you chasing idols now we don't chase necessarily things made of wood and gold and, and silver these days maybe sometimes we do chase things made of gold but for the most part our idols are much more subtle aren't they they're not necessarily named Baal and, and things like that they're, they're things that we, we allow to enter in and take over our minds an idol is anything that causes your focus to shift from complete dedication to God Anything that causes your attention and to divert from who God is and what God would have you to pursue. When God no longer is who you are concerned about, but it is rather yourself. Think back over this past week. When you think about your conversations that you had, what did you spend most of your time talking about? Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. What, what was the conversations that you had 
around your children. If we were to go and ask your children, what does mom and dad talk about most? What would they say? What's most heavy on their hearts? What did they hear you conversing about? If, if you haven't noticed, guys, kids are quick to pick up on what you, what you talk about, aren't they? Ask your, ask your kid's kindergarten teacher. I bet they know a lot more about you than you think, right? They have a tendency to hear what you say and repeat what you say. What did they hear you talking about? What did they hear about from your conversations that their ambitions, their lives should be focused on? Was it the Lord or was it something else? Did they, did they learn from you that God should be priority and should be number one? Or do they learn from you that God is priority as long as nothing else gets in the way? Why, why should we be shocked when children and, and young people no longer prioritize the worship of the Lord when we don't? Why should we be uh, blown away by the fact that our kids don't follow after the Lord when we don't? He says here in verse 6, he says, These words which I am commanded you today shall be on your heart. In other words, they should fill your heart. They should be flowing out of your heart. It's God's word what flows out of your heart. One, one man said it this way. He said, parents whose hearts are cold and devoid of the word of God cannot properly shepherd their own children's hearts. And what he meant is, if God's word is not what fills us and causes us to act, how can we expect to guide our children to do what they're called to do? Jesus said, why do you say you love me if you don't do what I tell you to do? Knowing God and loving God lead to obeying God. Do you actually obey the word of God in your life? Or do you do what is convenient? Do your kids look at you and say, yeah, dad follows the Lord when it works out in his favor, but he doesn't follow the Lord when it's too hard. If we were to go to your family, if we were to go to your kids and ask, what makes your dad, what makes your mom make decisions? What would they say is your primary way of making decisions? Is it the word of God? Is it prayer? Or is it what's easy and what you want? Or would your family say, no, my, my, my family's all about the Lord. It's about following the Lord. Or would they say, well, you know, we make it to church when we don't have anything better to do. So how can we pass on what we don't have? A right relationship with the Lord is first. A love for God is first. Secondly, faith is passed on through instruction. If we're going to pass the faith on to the next generation, it has to be through instruction. We actually do have to teach. Listen to verse 7. Here in verse 7 it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You notice what he's saying here. He's saying there's never not a teachable time. Let me rephrase that. There's always teachable time. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing is a time to be taught. Sometimes we want to overcomplicate things and make it, well, you know, we're going to have family worship, and only during that time will we talk about the Lord. Well, no, I mean, family worship's good and all, but when you're riding down the road, when you're going fishing, when you're watching a movie, when, whenever, whatever you're doing is always a teachable time. It's always a Polaroid moment, always a time to teach them to love the Lord God as you do. Teach them to obey God. Teach them through your example. You notice he says here, diligently. This is not something that's easy. It's not something that happens overnight. Guys, this is day in and day out. We always have our kids around us, and so we always have an opportunity to teach them about who God is. Sometimes we get in our mind that it's the church's job to teach our children about who God is. Now, no, don't get me wrong. We are involved. The church is involved in teaching about who God is, but it's a supplement. It's not primary. 
Now, do you honestly think that one to three hours a week is going to make as much of a difference as you having your kids the rest of the week? Where do you think the primary influence is going to come from? There is no replacement from a home that is centered on the Word of God. Someone put it this way. He said, God emphasized the importance of parents teaching the Bible to their children. The church or Christian schools cannot be used to escape from this responsibility. Eternal truths are most effectively learned in the loving environment of a God-fearing home. In other words, six days a week is a lot more time than one. I know that I'm not, I'm, you know, not real good at math, but three hours versus how many ever hours you have. I'm not even going to try and add all those hours up per week, but, but how many ever waking hours you have with your kids is going to be a far greater influence than anything they're going to get at church. If the only time they ever hear of the Lord is here, we're not doing our job. We must speak to them. And so this is the heart of our problem, I think. I think parents have passed off the duty of training their children in the faith to other people. We can't expect the church to do everything for us. We must work together on this. And so he, he says here, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. That sounds interesting, right? So we tattoo it on our, on our hands, and we tie pieces of scripture around our head. I, I don't think that's what, he's, what he means here. What he means is, Everything you do is about the Word of God. It's something that's constantly on your mouth, or coming out of your mouth. It's something you're constantly doing to teach your kids. Show your kids that the Word of God is always on the tip of your tongue. View every occasion in life as an opportunity to teach them. And he also says this, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so when you leave, you remind your kids about God. When you come home, you remind your kids about God. You turn everything into teaching them about who God is. This doesn't mean you're constantly preaching doesn't mean you, you make things weird. It just comes out of a relationship you have with the Lord. You teach them through reminding them. Let me, let me speed up just a little bit. Um, I, I was sharing with Jonathan. I usually have about 12 pages of notes, and I got 25. So have no fear. We're going to get through this. It's, there's just so, so many things that we can do as families to raise up the next generation to follow after the Lord. He, he says this. Don't worry. We're, we're going to get on time. I, I, I can't, I'm not even going to look at your faces right now because I don't want to see. But, but, but <laughs> I know it's Father's Day. <laughs> Y'all got places to go, I'm sure. But, but I, I want to spend some time here in this, this passage. It says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build and houses full of good things. And so he goes through and he lists all these things that they've been given in the Lord. Then verse 12. Verse 12, I, I want you to see this. This is the important part, guys. This is where that generation that Moses is talking to here missed it. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember what happens when we are not diligent to remember who God is. We forget. We're very forgetful, aren't we? We're forgetful people. What he's saying is, is guard yourself so that you don't forget what God has done. What happened was, is they had a generation where they fumbled the faith, and they didn't tell their people, they didn't tell the generation coming up what God had done. So guess what? None of them knew what God had done. It is our job to train the next generation so that they can know what God has done. Tell them what God has done. Answer their questions. Uh, there is a 
a story about a, a young boy who was walking with his dad down the road. And they were passing different stuff. A truck went by, and he said, Dad, what kind of truck was that? Dad's like, I don't know, son. They passed a barn. Dad, what do they keep in that barn? I don't know, son. And, and they, they passed the guy working a jackhammer. He's like, Dad, what, what's that guy doing with that jackhammer? I don't know, son. And the boy said, Dad, I'm not bothering you with all these questions, am I? The, the dad said, well, of course not. How else are you going to learn? And, and I think sometimes that's what we do with our kids. Rather than actually engaging them and discussing with them the things of the Lord, it's, oh, I don't know, we'll talk about it later. I'm busy right now. I got to check my Facebook or whatever. I got to watch this game or I got to read this paper. I got to make this phone call. I got to make this text. And we never actually take the time to look at our kids face to face and teach them how to converse but also how to engage the things of God and remind them of what God has done. Look at verse 20. If you want to skip down with me, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Do you hear what he's saying? He is assuming that God is going to be such a part of their life that their kids are going to say, why we got to go to church all the time? Why are we always talking about God? Why are we always praying? Why are we obeying? Why are we doing these things? Guys, let me ask you, when is the last time your kids said, why do we make God such a big part of our life? If that question's not there, we may want to reconsider the priorities in our life. But we also need to an answer. Verse 21, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Do you hear what he's saying? We were slaves, but now we're free. Similar to, I was dead, but now I'm alive. What he's saying is, we ought to live our lives in such a way that our kids say, why do you make such a big deal out of Jesus all the time? And our answer ought to be, I was dead in my sins, but the Lord Jesus saved me, and he redeemed me, and he gave me a new life. We ought to have the relationship with our God we have to have the relationship with Christ that our kids notice it, it affects them, it inconveniences them to the point that they say, what's the deal with all this God stuff? What's the deal with all this Jesus stuff? How come we got to live different than everybody around us? To which we will say, we were slaves, but now we're free. We were dead, but now we're alive. We ought to be people who share the gospel on a regular basis with our kids instead of those who fumble the faith and leave our kids wondering well I guess church is kind of important but not really I guess God is kind of important but not really now as I, as I thought about this passage and I thought about how important it is to be consistent to the Lord and how important it is to be faithful to our kids I was reminded of how far from what God has called me to be and where I am on a regular basis. Like I said earlier, if you're here this morning and you're a dad, if you're here this morning and you're a mom, you're a failure. You have failed on several different levels. If you honestly believe you are the perfect dad or the perfect mom, come talk to me. I want to help you write your book. But the truth is, is none of us are perfect. We can look back over our life as we raise our kids and see failed step after failed step and say, man, I wish I could have done that different. Man, I wish I knew then what I know now. 
man, I wish I could do this. If you don't have kids, guys, if you're still young and you haven't had kids or you're older and you've already raised your kids or you never had kids, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. When we stand before God, we are going to stand before him all as failures. We're all going to stand before him as those who have failed to do what he told us to do. There's not one who's kept his commandments perfectly. There's not one who's done everything we're supposed to do. When we were talking about the perfect father, Crystal, I asked her, well, if you're going to look in the Bible and you're going to find a perfect dad, who, who'd you, who would you say? And her immediate response is, well, the dad of the prodigal son. I was like, he's, he's not real. She's like, yeah, she, yeah, he is. And she's absolutely right. Jesus gave us a picture of the perfect dad, of the perfect father. In the parable of the prodigal son, you know who he's talking about. He's talking about God. He's saying this is what God is like. If you don't know the story, you don't know the parable that Jesus told in Luke 15. The parable is about a young man who decides that his dad is taking too long to die. And so he decides, he says, Dad, I want a third of your, I want my inheritance, which would have been a third of this man's property. I wish you were dead, Dad, so I could have a third of your property. The man gives his son a third of his property. And this young man takes a third of his dad's property and he goes into a far land and he blows every last penny. He has nothing left. He wastes every bit of it. And he finds himself wishing he could eat pig slop. And as he's standing there and he's saying, man, my, my dad's servants. It says that he, come, he came to himself. He, he realized just how dumb he had been. It says, and he, he came to himself and he said, you know, my daddy's servants got it better than I got it. I would rather be a servant in my dad's house than be a free man out, free man out here on my own. I'm going back to my dad. And I'm going to tell him I don't deserve to be his son anymore. I don't deserve anything from him. But he, if he would just let me be his servant, the, I'm going to tell him, don't call me son. I don't deserve that. Just let me be his servant. And so he says, I'm going home. And so he goes home. And on his way home, he hadn't even made it up the driveway yet. His dad had been out on the porch watching for his son to come home. And before he could even get up to him, his dad, this distinguished man, this wealthy man, runs down the driveway and wraps his arms around his son, covers his face in kisses, gives him a ring, gives him a robe, and says, son, you're home. He says, dad, I want to be serving. None of that matters anymore. You're home. And, he, and he, he kills the fatty calf. He makes this huge celebration. And he tells everybody, my son who was dead is alive. He who was lost is found. And he celebrates the fact that his son had come home. Guys, that's what it means to be a perfect father. It means to be someone so full of love and grace that you're willing to forgive. It means that you share the gospel with your kids. You share the gospel with your kids and you say, this is what I am. This is what God has done for me. And this is what I want him to do for you. It's not some cold religion. It's not some cold legalism. Well, I got to obey this and I got to do that. No, we, we do these things because we love the Lord because of his love for us. Yes, we have a perfect father to look up to. We have a perfect father who has forgiven every sin we've ever committed. And our job, guys, is not to pass on some cold, dead religion. It's to pass on a relationship we have with the very son of God with God the Father himself through the sacrifice that the Son has made for us. If you're here this morning and you're a believer and you've been following after the Lord and you look at, you look at your parenting versus what God is calling you to, say, I've fallen short. That's why Jesus died. He died because you were going to sin 
as a parent. He died to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to forgive you this morning. Ask your children to forgive you. So be, don't, be, don't be so proud that you can't admit that you've made mistakes. Your kids already know that you made mistakes. They already know you gave them empty Starburst packages. They already know that. Be honest with them. Be real with them. Share with them that you need the same mercy and forgiveness that they need. Share with them the gospel through the way that you live your life. Let them know the love that God has shown you. And show that love to them. If you've never put your faith in him, you've never trusted on Christ, ask him to save you this morning. You have a perfect father that's calling you home that's not going to beat you. That's not going to uh, humiliate you. He's simply going to say, come on home. Come and take part in the celebration. Because he who was lost is found. He who is dead is alive. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you, God, that at the end of the day, Lord, it is not up to me. It is all up to you. I thank you, God, that, that you have shown in your mercy and in your grace willingness to forgive, a willingness to, to uh, put us in the place you've put us in, God, to, to save us, to redeem us. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning who are hurting. God, those parents who can look back and say, man, I messed up so badly. Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort and healing to their hearts that you'd bring mercy to their hearts, that you'd bring restoration to those relationships. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who've been hurt by their parents. God, I pray that you'd bring healing to their hearts. God, that you'd bring forgiveness to their hearts. Let them know your love. Let them know your grace. God, I pray that any who don't know you, Lord, that you'd bring them to know you even this morning. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would stand with us and as you stand,